friends! You're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren, and today on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome Cindy Funk with us to talk about the business that she has built on Etsy and all that she has accomplished. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Lauren. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your shop and kind of what you do. Well, my shop is called Neato Keen, and I've actually been on Etsy for almost a decade now, and I sell vintage linens and collectibles. And I got started because I had this enormous collection that I had amassed over, I started collecting maybe 15 to 20 years ago, and it was just basically overtaking my house, filled up a lot of closets and a lot of cubbies and drawers. And I just knew that I had to reverse the process. And I had sold a little bit on eBay and I knew about Etsy, but I actually didn't realize that they, you had the ability to sell vintage uh, for quite a while. I'd been, you know, a buyer on Etsy. And then when I found that out, I was just overjoyed because I really liked the platform just aesthetically. I thought it had a good vibe and I like the fact that it wasn't an auction-based platform. It was fixed price. And so I really just jumped in without knowing anything and picked the shop name randomly because I wanted it to feel kind of nostalgic and and cheerful, which is neato keen is kind of an old-fashioned way of saying cool. And, you know, I, I think within about a couple years, I was having consistent sales and I just one day thought, you know what, I better start looking at this as a business and I have not looked back. It's been a great ride. Yeah, that's great. So when you were first getting started, this was just a hobby for you. You were just doing it like you were collecting these things just for your own personal pleasure, not really to sell. Exactly. It was purely as a collector, but I just, you know, started kind of being, I would say, a hoarder and, <laughs> to, um, you know, find a way to just pare down my mountain of linens, I would say. And I was, I was really not sure whether people go- were going to respond to them, but I, I really had sales pretty much right away and people really liked them and have continued, you know, it's just continued to grow over the years. Yeah. So what got you into vintage linens? That's a very specific, a very specific niche of of products to be interested in. It is very niche, exactly. I (laughs) actually found a vintage tea towel in an antique mall in my hometown. And it was of a woman underneath, sitting underneath an old-fashioned hairdryer. And I just thought it was so charming and unique. I'd really never run across any kind of design like that before. And I thought, this is really cool. I, I want to find more. So I started looking, you know, just out and about. I love to go to antique malls and flea markets and thrift shops and, you know, anything like that. And then I started searching online too. I found a lot online and I just 
kept buying them when the prices were right, you know, and <laughs> I ended up with over a thousand tablecloths. Oh, wow. Yeah. And now I actually have sold all but two and I have just have two tablecloths left in my personal collection. But the one thing I did keep were tea towels. I have a huge collection of tea towels. And what I do now for my shop is I basically try to find duplicates of what I have of things that I like and you know, sell in my current shop right now. Okay, cool. So as we talked about a little bit before we hit record, I don't have any experience in the vintage and the antique sort of space. But what do you think are like big challenges of, you know, like, in my shop, I can sell the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so that makes it what I would consider kind of a little bit easier to be selling the same thing multiple times. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. It's it's exactly, I don't have the ability to sell the exact same thing. Um, Occasionally I find duplicates, but sometimes it takes me years to find them. So I actually turned off my sold items because I was getting so many people looking back through what I had sold, liking what they'd seen and then asking me, if I had that, and you know, ninety nine percent of the time I don't have it. So yeah, what I'm going to ask you that if people come back to you and find like past listings and say, "Hey, hey, do you have any more of this?" and you're they like, do. I mean, they still look on my reviews. You can see what I've sold there. But yeah, what I try to do is find things that are fit my aesthetic. I have most. If you look at my shop, um, Nito Keenitz, mostly you know, a lot of colorful pattern. The designs are very nostalgic, um, sometimes kitschy and funny. And um, I just try to find linens and now collectibles too that kind of fit that vibe. And so I I want when people come into my shop, I want them to kind of have a sense of, you know, a a cohesion that everything kind of looks similar. So that's kind of what I landed on over time. Yeah. Taking me a while. I want to highlight that point for people who are listening that even though this is not a brand of things that you are creating, you are still branding it by finding items that fit within this certain look that you're trying to go for. Exactly right. Yep. Well put. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you get kind of past that, especially in, in Etsy with with like SEO and the search algorithm and everything, how do you overcome the fact that you don't have the sales history on that specific item, even though your shop has really solid sales history, you know, you don't have one listing that has sold like thousands and thousands of times. Exactly. I think it's because I have similar items. I do tend to sell like anytime I have sometimes up to a hundred tea towels in my shop. So it's kind of easy to, you know, replicate what I'm selling just and does that make sense yeah so when people look back at other products and they say do you have like x y and z item do you ever direct them to something that's similar even though it's not the same thing exactly and I also keep a running list of what people want I have a lot of repeat buyers okay some really loyal customers that have been with me for years and years and I know what they're looking for. I kind of keep a little black book. And if I find it, I will go back and contact them and, you know, let them know that I've found it. And 99% of the time they're thrilled and they end up buying it. Okay. That's great. So you're like a personal shopper. (laughs) I am. Yep. That works for them and you. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's challenging. It's, it's hard to find the things, but you know, I, that's what I love about it. I love the hunt and I love 
you know, I go all over the United States and then online. I look online too. Okay, cool. How did you develop those relationships with those repeat buyers to have the sort of back and forth of them feeling comfortable to ask you for things? I think it's just simple communication. You know, I'm big on customer service and I try to establish a rapport with people. As soon as anybody buys anything from me, I know they receive an automated note, but I also like to send them a message just acknowledging their purchase and then also thanking them and, you know, talking a little bit about linens and what they're going to receive. And a lot of times they write back and, and then just over time, we've just, you know, developed a relationship. I think it's a lot of people, it's a lot of collectors that have the same passion that I do. And so it's an easy rapport. And, you know, like I said, I have a lot of repeat buyers who keep coming back. And that's, I think, been actually been the most surprising benefit of being on Etsy is that, you know, I've just met all these people. It it tends to be a little lonely as a collector. I mean, none of my friends collect what I do or kind of understand, you know, my passion. So it's been nice to find a group of people that have similar interests. And I just am a big believer in establishing a community. And I've done that, you know, both on Etsy and also on Instagram. Okay. That was going to be my other question is if you've done like a lot of promoting off of Etsy or just building the community aspect of it, it seems to me like with this niche of products, like Uh that maybe there would be an opportunity to build that community in a different way than say somebody like me who's selling something that they can turn around and buy from somebody else because they have more products. It's a little bit more unique, I guess, in that way that their people have this passion for these vintage products that they might not have just, you know, for a baby blanket. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, I think it is a, it's probably a much smaller group, you know, lovers of tea towels. I don't know how many there are out there, but there are some. Obviously not. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I do promote off on or on Instagram, but I've, I've actually purposely kept kind of my business strategy very simple because, you know, like you, I had four children and I'm an empty nester now, but I had this, you know, scheduled life for 25 years and I knew that I wanted to do something when they were all gone. And I did have this in place. I started when they were, uh, my last two were in high school, but I also knew that I wanted to be fairly flexible to be able to travel with my husband and so I've kept it very simple. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have a website. I don't have a Shopify shop. I don't have a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel, or I really don't have much of an email list, although I'm trying to change that. And I, I don't have a Facebook group either, but I really like Instagram. I think it's a very visual platform and it's just really, for me, very simple to use. I'm not very technologically minded. So, you know, I've kind of developed a small community there too. And I, enjoy talking to people through Instagram. That's been great through the direct messages and then the comments. And um, I have a lot of people tell me that they've found me, my shop through Instagram. Okay, cool. So that's, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. For new listeners, the last week's podcast episode was actually about developing those personal connections on Instagram. 
one thing I think that is really crucial about Instagram that a lot of people kind of miss the mark on is that it's really not about the number of followers that you have. It's really about the connection that you have with those people. Like I have seen Instagram accounts that have, you know, a thousand followers, but every picture that they post, they'll get 10 or 20 comments and they'll get DMs and all of this stuff where those people are really engaged with what they're doing and they're really interested in that, you know, community support and that connection with people versus other accounts that have a hundred thousand followers and nobody ever comments on anything. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, I'd way rather have a hundred engaged people than, you know, 10,000 followers. So I completely agree with that. Yeah. But I rarely get asked the question, like, how can my followers engage more deeply with me? Yeah. <laughs> the time people ask me, how do I get more followers? And yeah. Like, right. Really about like having this, you know, massive, massive group. It's really about having this loyal following or this, you know, these people that connect with you on a deeper level and connect with what you're doing and what you're passionate about. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And there, it's been, so much fun. You know, I, it's actually been connecting with people that I wouldn't have guessed. And I have a lot of illustrators and artists that actually like what I post and they say they're inspired by it. So that's been kind of a, you know, a really neat outcome that I didn't expect at all. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. The people that find you, you know? Yeah. Do you find that a lot of your customers are kind of in a similar like, are they similar to you? Are they a similar age group to each other? Or like, do you find like a common thread between who is interested in your product? Or is it just kind of random? It's more random than I thought. I mean, I'm in my late 50s. And I have a lot of um, younger people that actually follow me. And, you know, I talk to frequently. So no, I, I really don't think it's probably skews female. That's my guess. But I do have um, several male customers that have come back frequently. No, I you know I don't think there's a real pattern. I do think it's people that are interested in visual design. I would say illustration because a lot of the my linens, you know, if you look at my shop, you'll see that that's what they're based on. They're actually printed linens. I don't sell embroidered. Um, okay. if that makes sense. They're screen printed. Okay. And they do have kind of that, I've been looking through your shop and they have like a lot of the old, like cartoon character type looks. Yes, and, exactly. And like that. So I could see why, uh, you know, a graphic designer, an illustrator, somebody like that who wanted sort of a vintagey look would be inspired by the aesthetic of that. Exactly. Yep. You're right. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I also think that, that you make an interesting point that the person who is attracted to your shop is not necessarily who you expected. Mm-hmm. Because I have found that to be really similar as well. Like a lot of times I think that you assume that the people who are going to be interested in what you're doing are people just like you. Exactly. <laughs> like yep. You just assume that Such everybody... an easy assumption to make, right? Yeah. And like, I'm interested in it. So probably the only people that are going to be interested in it are going to be the same age group, the same kind of demographic as where I fall. But I have found that also to be not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, surprise is surprise, right? I'm yeah. in my mid-30s and a lot of people are several decades older than me right? <laughs> and find that they are brought in either to the podcast and stuff or to my shop itself, 
which has been really interesting to me because I just figured it would be other, you know, 35 year olds. (laughs) Right. right. I completely understand. It's, it's a nice surprise. I mean, it really, you know, it's fun having a variety of people that are interested in what you're interested in. Yeah. And like you said, it gives you the opportunity to connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't have necessarily connected with because exactly. you are more likely to be surrounded by those people that are similar to you. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's actually been the most fun part of it all. I mean, of course, I'm a business and I want to turn a profit, but I, I really enjoy talking to people. And that's, you know, it's a blast. Fun. Yeah. So talk to me about kind of that switch between from collecting these as a hobby and doing this for yourself and buying what you wanted to buy and what you liked versus turning it into a business and focusing on, you know, wanting to make a profit and have it be a sustainable business. How did that change? It was a big mental switch, I think, because when you're buying as a collector, I mean, of course, price is an object. It's not price is not you know, ever not an object for me. But I think when I started uh, viewing it as a business, I really had to start looking at profit margins and trying to find my items for a lot less. So there was room for profit. So that's just a big, it's a big change. I find myself shopping when I do shop, I still shop with a collector's eye because I've found over time that if I buy what I truly love myself, number one, I might have to keep it, but um, if it doesn't sell. But if I buy something I really like, then it's much easier to sell something you like. Because I think people, they detect that passion behind it and that you truly do love the item. I just had a huge conversation about this paint tin that I was selling with someone. And you know, I think she felt you know, that I was... I generally liked it. I thought it was really cool and she ended up buying it. So it's, but it is, it it was an interesting, you know, switch mentally that I had to make from, to become from a collector to a buyer. Yeah. Do you ever buy things now that you think like, there's no way that I can make a profit on this. This is just for my own. All the time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. I still am a collector, but yeah, a lot of times, you know, the thing is I, yeah, I've been doing this for long enough that when I find something that I know is actually pretty rare and or a design that I haven't seen before, I'll just I usually go ahead and buy it even if I know that I can't turn a profit on that much of a profit on it, you know, even if I make just a couple of dollars. I'm happy for someone to have it and enjoy it because I do know that it's fairly unusual if that makes sense. Yeah. That's neat. I have a lot of people who have trouble making that shift a lot of times. I think that especially Mm -hmm. with something that you start out as a hobby seller or for people who are making handmade stuff, they're, you know, just crafting for people that they, you know, they know or that they're related to or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then to make that shift to say, okay, how are you actually going to turn this into a business and make it profitable and not spend like, you know, 30 hours on something that you're going to make. Like, right, right. On. <laughs> exactly. But I always tell people, you don't have to sell every single thing that you know how to make. You can just have some part of it that is for your own personal enjoyment. You don't have to completely abandon the part that you used to enjoy to turn it into a business. Yes, I understand that completely. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when you first started taking this from your hobby to selling on eBay to ending up opening up this Etsy shop, what kind of goals did you have beyond just, I guess, <laughs> clearing out your thousands of tea towels? And how have those goals changed over the you know decade that you have been now a business owner and not just a hobbyist? Right. I At first, it, it truly was just kind of getting rid of things. And over time, I actually, I set number goals for me. I try to make, you know, a certain amount of sales every year. And I try to obviously make my bottom line increase and show a profit and more of a profit each year. I actually went through kind of a phase where I tried to have as many things in my shop as possible. And I started getting out of my comfort zone. I was selling things like old locker baskets and just a variety of things. I kind of became more like a general store right in the middle of this. It just got out of control. I, my workspace was, you know, just crammed with stuff and it just felt, I don't know, messy and just too much for me. So I really whittled it back down to things that were in my wheelhouse and I felt comfortable with. And because I was, you know, having to do a lot of research on pricing and, and actually finding out what the item was and whether it was actually worth anything. So I kind of did a 180 and got rid of most of that extra stuff and then started, you know, selling things that were more in my aesthetic. And I just feel, for me, I feel very comfortable with about 200 items in my shop. I know that there's Etsy sellers that have, you know, literally thousands of items. And to me, that's just overwhelming. So I think you have to look at yourself as an individual, like where do you want your shop to be? And, you know, what's good for you at what point of life you're in. I think so many people tend to compare themselves with other shops and I think over time, I've just put on blinders and just tried to be true to my vision and my, you know, stick to my goals. Yeah, I think that that is fantastic advice. And I um, also had a similar path with my shop and Mm -hmm. um, ended up the same way. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of times when you first open your shop, you have this idea of what you want to do. And then once you start to see some traction with selling things, you're like, Oh, well, if these things are selling well, imagine what I could do if I had more and more and more. Exactly. Right. Um, But what ends up happening is you're like, not only are you actually drowning in actual inventory, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also your, you know, your profits all just get eaten up with holding this inventory that you're reinvesting back into the business. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's been for me, and it sounds like for you too, a lot more profitable to niche down further and not have to be holding all these various things that you're hoping will sell. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I just thought I wanted to be all things to everybody. And I think that just does not work. I think, you know, if you specialize in something, whatever that may be, I think it's a much better business strategy. At least it has been for me. It has been for me as well. I would agree. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think makes your shop stand out in the crowdedness of Etsy? For those of you who have not yet checked out her shop, Nito Keen, she has over 9,000 sales on Etsy, which is a lot for somebody in such a niche market. So what do you think makes your items jump out in that space and really makes people want to purchase from you? 
I think it's that, you know, that aesthetic, that look, that nostalgic look. I think I try to have it very cohesive when you walk into my shop. I'm not sure I can explain it. I And I also, I do think it comes back to customer service. I really think, you know, if, I'm, if you're responsive, you know, if you get a question and if it's humanly possible, you figure that person is in your shop, they're a warm customer and they're interested and I try to answer them right away. I also am a very quick shipper. I, If possible, I ship, you know, the same or the next day or on Monday if it's a purchase over the weekend. And I think people re- really appreciate that. They write a, you know, a, a positive review. I will write them back and just thank them. I don't say come back to my shop or anything, but I just genuinely thank them because I really do appreciate a good review. And I've never really asked for reviews. I've just been really lucky. People have, you know, felt compelled to come back and write them. Standing out, it is a tough one because it is a very saturated market. I was thinking the other day that when I first started selling on Etsy, there were probably about, I don't know, 700 vintage tea towels. And now if you do a search for vintage tea towels, there's 32,000. So (laughs) the market has grown on Etsy. Yeah, I do think, you know, having the benefit of being been there for a long time, not from the very beginning, but, you know, very early on in the early stages of Etsy helps. I do try to... Make sure that my photos are, you know, really good, uh, particularly the primary, the first photo. Um, obviously, I try to use all 13 tags. I have, you know, use long tail keywords um, or, or phrases, I guess is a better way to put it. I'm constantly tweaking. You know, it's, I just, I guess I want your listeners to realize that it's, you never get it right. You just, you're always, you know, working on it and it's a process and, It'll never be perfect, but all you can do is, you know, do the best you can do and and keep learning. I'm I'm constantly, you know, listening to podcasts and and reading articles and watching YouTube channels on how to improve my shop and Yeah. I think you make so many great points there. I want to circle back around a little bit and say that from what I'm hearing you say with the aesthetic and everything and when you talk about in the middle when your shop grew, I would imagine that it was a little bit hard to keep that same aesthetic or to keep that same clarity for yourself of what exactly your brand was or who you were serving as you started to expand out into these products that you weren't so comfortable with or weren't, you know, weren't really your thing. Overwhelmed, right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And I also do want to really really stress what you said at the end there about continuing to learn and work on it. There are so many people who get frustrated so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will have people that I've worked with that after a week or two of working on it, they're like, well, this this is I'm just frustrated. I'm not seeing any results. And I'm like, no, this is like a marathon, not a sprint. That's right. <laughs> you can't get frustrated after a few weeks. This is uh, it's a process. And it's like you said, it, there's not really an end goal. There's a point, I think, where you're you're happy with, with your shop and the results that you're getting. But it's not like you hit this finish line and like everything is so easy. And <laughs> Right. No, no way. Yeah. And that even for somebody who's had a lot of success, and even for somebody who has been on the platform for a long time, 
while that is, you know, obviously having that sales history and the history on the platform is helpful, that's not where you stop. It's not just like, well, I started 10 years ago. And so I don't have to put in any work to anything anymore. (laughs) Right, exactly. It is a process and never ending, actually. And I think as long as you find it interesting and fun, and if you have patience, you know, because online sales are extremely fickle, you just, you know, I can try to analyze why I'm having certain, you know, a lot better sales during certain times and nothing at other times, but you'll drive yourself mad. So you just have to be be patient and, you know, just hold on. As long as you're enjoying it, what you're making and, you know, or what you're finding in my case, then great ride. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that is, maybe that's the difference between people who do stick with it and enjoy it versus people who get frustrated is that 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 business side is enjoyable to you versus just like a something that you have to do or something that you dread doing. (laughs) Exactly. A grind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like all aspects of it. I really do. And I figure that when I stop liking it, I'll retire. Yeah, look for something else. <laughs> a great, yeah, exactly. It's a great thing about Etsy too. Is it, it's such a flexible site. I mean, I have put my shop on vacation numerous times over the years, and you know, I know a lot of people say not to do that, but I've always bounced back. Sometimes it takes a couple days to get a sale, but I seem to always bounce back from that. Yeah. So if you were just getting started on Etsy now and you didn't have this 10 years of business wisdom that you've grown over <laughs> over this time period, what do you wish that you would have known or what do you think that your aha moment of selling on Etsy would have been? If somebody was just starting right now, what advice could you give them? Patience. You know, you you've just got to look at the, you know, the long picture instead of being very anxious and predictive. Sometimes it takes, you know, new sellers months to get a sale. And that I completely understand that can be frustrating. But I think once you get into the groove of it, and I think another thing that people overlook is that I think it's super important to list consistently. You know, uh, I try to list something every day, even if it's just one thing. I tend to batch my listings and I look at my day and I think, okay, how many can I list today? And some days it's one thing and some days it's 10 things. But I think just keeping, you know, up in the, the recency search, I mean, sometimes it's hard to figure out how to get yourself way up into the relevancy search, but I think that really helps just consistently listing, even if you have to renew something um, just to make it new and fresh. Another thing I think for, new people is just to walk away from your computer sometimes and, you know, just find other things to do. I mean, you know, everybody has stuff to do around their house or, you know, play with your kids, but just not become obsessed sitting there, you know, waiting for that cha-ching. And, you know, you can always tweak your listings. Um, You know, you can always take better pictures. You can, I think that really we have a great resource at our hands, the Etsy seller's handbook is often overlooked. I mean, it's just this enormous body of work and articles, but uh, there's a lot of great information in there for uh, newer sellers. There's all kinds of, you know, YouTube channels that have some advice. And as long as you pick a good one, anyway, it can be tough as a new seller, but if you have, you know, if you're in it for the long game, it can really pay off. Yeah. I think that that's a really good a really good suggestion to sometimes step away. Yeah. 
I read a post in a Facebook group the other day that a girl was saying that she had just opened her shop like a few weeks ago and she was working 13 hour days, like tweaking her listings and stuff. And what advice do people have to, you know, increase her sales? And my advice that I responded with was like, you need to stop. (laughs) Like That's not sustainable first off. So you're going to get burnt out really, really fast. But also, I mean, there is a process of building a business that's not going to be, it doesn't matter if you work 13 hour days every single day, it takes time. Sometimes it's not just how much time you're putting into it on a day to day basis. There is like sort of this momentum that has to build and you can't really do a lot to speed that up at times. So right. I do think that patience is key. <laughs> right. I do too. Although it's extremely hard. <laughs> it is. It is. I know you want it to succeed. And, and you know, when you don't see those, you know, it happening right away, it is easy to become impatient. Another thing I, I think that I actually don't do enough of myself is looking at the stats that Etsy provides. They're really good, you know, I mean, yeah. and they've been vastly improved over time. And I'll just give you a perfect example. I they started showing us where our traffic was coming from. And I just assumed that a lot of my traffic was coming from social media. And I was pretty shocked to see, I mean, I definitely do get traffic from social media, but as a whole, um, most of my traffic was just coming from within Etsy, which kind of, you know, tells me that working on my SEO and, you know, all the descriptions and, and photos is, was a good strategy for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I talk about a lot with my students is that it is because somebody else might look at those stats and say, well, I thought a lot of my traffic was coming from social media. And then I realized it wasn't, but I want it to be. So I'm going to double down on my social media. Right. Actually, it's a lot easier if you just work with what's already working for you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's what it kind of told me. So I was pretty surprised, you know, but... I do think it tells you a lot. There's, um, you know, tells you which are your least viewed listings. I mean, yeah. I, I look at those and try to figure out why people are not looking at them. Right. Another simple exercise that I really wasn't doing, but I found very helpful is that I just look over my past sales and I think it gives you a grid of like 24 pictures. And I simply look at like what have people been buying? And I'll notice big trends that way that, if I'll be selling a lot of linens and, you know, sometimes I go back through my own collection, cull certain things out and try to put a lot more linens in. And occasionally I'll look like, particularly over Christmas, I sell a lot of vintage Christmas items and, you know, I was selling a lot of them. And so that makes me realize, oh, you know, I need to find a lot more vintage Christmas. So I'll go out and try to shop for that. And it's the same thing for like a, you know, a handmade maker, maybe you're selling jewelry and, you just look over the, you know, your past 24 or 48 items that you've sold. And if you sold a lot of earrings and, you know, start making a lot more earrings because people are interested in buying them for whatever reason, those listings are popular. And right. You know. Yes. And it's so much easier to just go with what's working versus, again, like saying, well, I'm selling a lot of earrings, but what I really want to be making is necklaces. So I'm going to try and figure out how to make these necklaces work part of being a business owner, I think, versus a hobby seller is realizing what people are wanting, which Mm -hmm. sometimes is what you want to be doing. And sometimes it's not your favorite, your favorite thing. Exactly. (laughs) there, There have been times that the things that have sold in my shop the best were not my favorite items. 
But, you know, I'm not the one that's paying the bill. So. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for being here today and talking with us about this business that you've built and all the ups and downs and things you've learned along the way. It's been really interesting to talk to somebody in a different category than just the handmade category and, and to hear about those challenges and the way that you've worked around them. Yeah, and I so appreciate it, Lauren, because I think vintage has had a little bit of an uphill battle on Etsy. I mean, I think it's known as a, a handmade site and also supplies, but but I, I do think it's catching on. And since the company has gone public, you know, when I tell people that I have an Etsy shop, I see a lot more recognition in their eyes than Absolutely. it used to be. So that's a nice, but um, so I really appreciate you highlighting vintage. Very yeah. thankful. Tell the listeners again where they can find your shop and where they can find you. The best place to talk to me is actually through Etsy message board or Etsy conversation. My shop is Neato Keen. And then on Instagram too, I'm the same. It's Neato Keen. I would love to talk to you in the DMs or in the comments. All right. That sounds great. Thank you again for being here. Thanks, Lauren. I really appreciate it. 